0: You are live with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here with Andy Barrar. We have lots of great stuff to talk about on today's program. Later on, cleaning your cookies. Not the uh, eating kind, but the computer kind. You'll want to stay tuned for that because uh, it's something that we all need to do uh, every so often. We'll also be talking with our friends over at Mobile Syrup, Rose Bihar, about data in Canada. Rogers and uh, a few of the other big cell phone carriers have announced some pretty huge uh Pricing when it comes to going over on your data. Uh, what does that look like and what you can do about it uh, as well? Andy, a lot of uh, tech news this week. That's right. Uh, so interesting. Uh, Google has uh, a new company called Dandy Dandelion and uh, they plan to heat your home with your lawn.
1: Well, yeah, what they're using is, and this is not nothing new. They're using GMO thermal energy. So underneath your yard, there's a lot of heat and what Google is trying to do then is capture that and then be able to use that heat, which is really interesting. There's a lot of companies that do this. I've seen other companies do this before, but this coming from Google, a company that started, you know, as a search engine and selling ads, just shows that they're really trying to take over the world.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Geothermal is uh, a very environmental way to uh, em- environmentally friendly way to. Uh, cool and heat your home. Basically, they take a a drill and drill down hundreds, if not like down a thousand feet into the earth where the temperatures are typically uh, very consistent. Uh, They run tubing down there. They create what's called a loop from that into your home and basically are just passing water through there that is heated and cooled depending on what time of season, whether that's winter or summer uh, to either heat up your house or cool it down. And so from what I understand, Google's found a better way to do it.
1: Yeah. Well, the problem with geothermal heating is that it costs a lot of money so like 60
0: grand on average
1: yeah and so google is going to try to get it down to you know around 20 to twenty five thousand dollars, and then for a lot of people that will make sense because if you're going to live in a home for say 20 years 25 years you make this upfront cost kind of like solar power uh, panels then you can see how long will it take for me to to pay this back and then you get to have all this heat essentially for free because it's coming from the ground. It's just a new way of looking at it. If you look at the cost of electricity, my home is completely heated by electricity. And I guarantee you, Mike, when it's wintertime, I do not keep the heat on when I'm not there because I do not want to pay that much money. But if you, if someone's building a home, another $20,000, 25000 to get geothermal heating and cooling yeah, seems like a really, really good choice to make.
0: Interesting thing about uh, Twitter. This is an interesting uh, study out of uh, the UK. Um, Basically, university researchers looked at the London riots back in 2011 uh, and to see if Twitter was better than the police in predicting riots and certain flashpoints. And from their studies, it uh, looks like it was.
1: Yeah, you know, Twitter, it's funny about Twitter because they are not really making money or found a way to monetize from Twitter but you cannot deny that it is used extensively during any kind of public demonstration we saw that with the Arab Springs a couple of years ago and then any kind of mass demonstration people are tweeting like crazy and what you can do then is just look at where they're tweeting and what's happening and then use that to that data to start to predict where all the hotspots are and what this study is, is essentially shown is that that is possible and it's a great predictor and you, I wouldn't be surprised in the next couple of years, you'll see law enforcement start to look at what's going on on Twitter to predict where they need to allocate the resources during any kind of mass demonstration or riot.
0: Well, it's interesting because there's obviously a lot of privacy concerns here because typically on Twitter, you've got your user handle, which could then be tracked back to you. And there were some uh, different services. I think one was called Geofedia, and we've talked about it, I think, last year. Yeah. Um, it's a, a service that basically uh, aggregated uh, social media posts and, you know, most specifically Twitter. And allowed companies or law enforcement or firefighters to basically kind of get an overall look and feel of what was happening in a certain area. So, you know, if a lot of people started tweeting about a fire down on 12th and Main, that would pop up and alert the appropriate uh, people. And uh, again, they're saying it's faster than uh, how the police uh, would get that information typically.
1: It's just kind of weird though. Like imagine you're in a mass demonstration, all the stuff's going on you're like, wait. I got to send this tweet out. <laughs> it I, I just—it's still kind of weird to me. There's tear
0: right? gas everywhere. <laughs> yeah, like
1: like if we. If, well, I guess there was Twitter around when the the riots happened in Vancouver, but yep. like just to kind of see that, I remember because I was there and I left before the riots happened. But the first thing I did was go on Twitter. While I was sitting on the SkyTrain, and I was like, "Wow, good thing I left in time because people are you know taking pictures and creating content, whether it's short video format." And putting it out there and it's public, it's all public. That's why that company you mentioned, they were gathering it and then selling that data back to law enforcement. Uh, I don't think they're around anymore. They got a lot of backlash from that, but uh, that, that data is out there and you can use it now to predict what, what, where the hotspots are in any kind of protest or, or mass demonstration.
0: Well, it's kind of scary um, because again, you're typically tied to your user handle. And, you know, we've even seen in the past uh, couple of weeks here, Snapchat with their snap maps, um, basically um, allowing you to see exactly where your friends are, like uh, geolocate them. Every smartphone's got a GPS in it. So now this new feature on Snapchat called Snap Maps basically shows your action emoji. This is like a little digital character on a map of exactly what you're doing and where you are and where you're going. And when I say exactly, like it's down to street uh address level.
1: Yes, exactly. And, and that freaks me out with kids. Well, yeah. And you know what? The other day I was using Google Maps. I was in, I was on the road trying to get directions and I accidentally pressed this button where it's like, do you want to share your trip with everybody else? And I was like, no, I don't. <laughs> I didn't know that
0: was possible in
1: Google Maps.
0: I know, but I'm concerned because... A lot of times now they're just kind of building these features in, you know, no, not everyone reads the user agreements or the update agreements uh, for these, uh, these apps and programs. And a lot of times you're just clicking things without really looking through the details on it. And you're allowing all this information to go out there and the snap maps, uh, there is something called ghost mode. And that's an important thing for parents out there. Uh, you know, if your kids have a smartphone and God, they all do, yes. um, you know, check in on these apps, know how to use Snapchat Ask them about Snap Maps. Tell them to bring it up to show you. You need to see this. It is freaky as hell. Well, exactly. And like you said, just because of
1: how they can pinpoint exactly where you are. If you are, you know, a stalker or something like that, this is just perfect for you. But I don't think parents realize just how much their kids are using Snapchat and whether or not they are enabled that mode or not. So I agree with you. It's going to be tough to get your kids to like open up your Snapchat. Let me look at this because... We both have Snapchat. We can't figure it out. That app is really confusing. I can't even find Snap Maps
0: (laughs) (laughs) in the Snapchat program. But, you know, that's me because I'm over 25 years old. Uh, When we come back from the break, uh, a lot more tech to talk. We're going to be talking with Rose Bahar over at Mobile Syrup about data in Canada and all the new overage fees and cleaning your cookies later on in the program. Back after this. You are back with Get Connected. Mike and Andy here in studio today. Still got lots of tech to talk. Later on, we'll be talking with Jennifer Cairns about cleaning your cookies in your computer. And, uh, of course, uh, App of the Week and a whole lot more uh, tech news uh, as well. On the line right now, we've uh, got our friend uh, Rose Bahar. She uh, is a a mobile expert uh, here to talk about uh, data and overages and what it all means for Canadians. Thanks for joining us, Rose.
2: Thanks so much for having me on.
0: So uh, I wanted to chat about this. Uh, Some kind of interesting things have happened over the past week, week and a half, uh, starting with uh, Rogers announcing that they're going to charge even more for data overages. Can you explain what that means to our listeners?
2: That's right. So a data overage is when you go over the limit of what you had for your account. Um, And what they did was they went from $50 per gigabyte to $70 per gigabyte. So that's an added twenty dollar cost, um, an increase of forty percent. So it was quite a steep increase, but it actually kept pace with what Bell had been doing. They were just doing it more slowly. So over the past two years, they increased it uh, one cent, uh, you know, per megabyte, and then another, and uh, it also resulted in them uh, getting to the seventy dollar per gigabyte level. Uh, meanwhile, Telus has. Fifty dollars per first gigabyte and a hundred dollars per gigabyte thereafter. So they're all pretty steep.
0: It's kind of crazy, isn't it? Do you think people
1: fully understand this? Well, Rose, one thing I don't understand is why are they doing this? Like, most people aren't going to like to hear that. Is it? Is this a money making scheme, or or what's what's the rationale for all this?
2: I mean, I think their rationale is to do with upkeep of the network and the fact that people are using more data than ever, and it's stressing out the, the network itself. Um, but obviously, it's a very difficult pill to swallow when Canadians are seeing that their American counterparts are getting more and more unlimited data plans. And you can't help but think that that's likely going to be the case eventually in Canada uh, and start to wonder whether this is just sort of milking the last bit of profit that they can out of data overages while they while they still exist in some way
0: well it's interesting I'm on Fido and I actually have a lot of data and somehow I don't know how uh, well I guess I do I I have five gigabytes a month and I you know occasionally I blow through that but before I do I get a little text message from Fido and I think Rogers is similar uh, they say that I can top up my data for an extra 15 to 25 dollars depending on how much data I want so I think for 15 bucks I get an extra gigabyte and for twenty five I've get two gigabytes. Um, so I, I just don't understand uh, why don't they just go with that pricing instead of charging like fifty to seventy dollars?
2: That's right. I mean some but not all carriers offer that and on, on generally not on all plans. Um, but and you know like you said t- to some extent, there is uh, that aspect where it's a it's a better way to make money when it is um, more the general pay-per-use amounts Um, but i think that the consumer responds a lot better when there is a very very clear and open uh, dialogue about okay you have to accept the charges and this is exactly how much you can pay for the next allotment Um, because this continues to drive a lot of bill shock um, amongst canadians Something that a lot of Canadians have complained about and it has long, uh, you know, the government has long tried to address it. The CRTC, uh, the, the Commission um, for for Canadian Telecom, has tried to address it through the Wireless Code of Conduct. Um, but so far, we're still having issues with, with that overage that really, really shock people.
1: Rose, I think just about everybody that has a, a smartphone has gone over their data at some point in time. But the phones today, whether it's on Android or iOS, have features that allow you to track your data so that you kind of know where you're at each week. But what I've noticed is a lot of people that I talk to don't use that. Uh, what's your experiences? Do you, do you know of your, of your readers at um, Mobile Syrup? Do they use that feature or are a lot of people not taking advantage of that?
2: I think our readers are very techie and they do take advantage of those features that are provided by carriers or that you can just download independently or that you can look at in your settings. Um, but I would say for the average Canadian, um, data is is kind of a considered more of like a service that they just can't live without. Um, it, it's very difficult to continuously be checking every moment of the day, how much you're using um, when really we're on our phones nonstop and we're using them for GPS and we're using them for music streaming and video streaming. Um, additionally, when you get to that point where you've hit your cap, you might know it, but you might not be able to stop uh, or might not want to stop because it is so hard being disconnected in this modern digital world. So when you see that prompt come up, you just look at it and you say yes because you you have to continue to use data. There's there's not really much of another choice.
0: I yeah you know, I'm I'm still struggling with it because I just they're going to have a lot more unhappier customers if they're charging them like fifty to seventy bucks for extra gigabyte. Uh, that that's not going to leave a good taste in anyone's mouth.
2: I think they are trying. Uh, many of the carriers are trying to move customers towards higher data buckets, and I think that was part of what happened with Rogers is at the same time as it raised overages, it added some very, very high amounts of data plans, higher than they had ever previously had before, like 80 gigabyte uh, data buckets for consumers, um, and they, they marginally lowered the prices as well. Um, in some cases, actually, the, the prices went down quite a bit, So I think that the idea is let's try and shift the customers into bigger data buckets and get them towards that direction. Um, However, the incentive hasn't been very pleasant, uh, in particular when it comes to this really, really steep overage prices.
0: So one other thing I wanted to chat with you about, Fido announced something really weird this week. I'm a Fido customer, and I'm still trying to wrap my head around how I would use this, but they say for people on certain FIDO plans, their, uh, is it their Pulse plans, uh, that you'll, you will get five hours of uh, extra internet or data usage per month. Can you explain to our listeners right. what that means and how that works?
2: Yeah, it's an interesting new feature, very much uh, the first of its kind when it comes to data, um, in which users can use one hour of free data five times per month. And they are able to do that by going through the FIDO app. Uh, So you you go into the FIDO My Account app, you press a button or you shake the app, and a one hour of free data usage starts. And it runs consistently, you cannot pause it, and then uh, as it's about to end, you get a notification that you're switching back onto your own data bucket. So theoretically, you could use all five hours at once, but you would have to continuously go back into the app to, to reactivate it. Um, and when it comes to how much actual usage that might mean, um, it, it's really dependent on what you're doing while you're using that free, uh, free data. If you're, user, if you're streaming 4K video, it is possible you could get up to a gig in that hour, but in in many other situations, uh, likely not. Another good uh, use of it might be to uh, save everything that you want to download for that hour and just download, download, download in that timing.
0: Yeah, it it still sounds a little crazy to me. Uh, Being a Fido customer and I actually have that plan, uh, I'm like, okay. (laughs) I I know
1: why they did this. They allow you to marathon on certain Netflix shows (laughs) (laughs) impulsively while you're on the go.
2: (laughs) that's the thing It's perfect for Netflix and, you know, it could be maybe good for if we, we get into an era of streaming VR content as well. Um, but it's, it's an interesting plan and very different. And it's, it's based around time, which is an interesting thing. So it won't necessarily run afoul of the new differential pricing rules that the CRTC put into place recently. Um, and that those rules stated that data must be treated agnostically. So, so they're definitely doing that with Fido. Um, what they aren't doing is they're only giving it to to one section of their customers, the customers that pay the most, um, the pulse plan customers. So that could potentially well, raise some flags.
0: For I'm I'm one of those idiots. <laughs> Not me.
2: <laughs> yeah, I I think. Generally, it's an interesting move, and it might mean a move to, towards more time-based plans for data in the future, sort of like we saw um, time-based plans for minutes in the past. you remember when? Yeah. you had free free minutes after 6 p.m.
0: Rose, I want to thank you for joining us. Uh, where can people find out more information about you?
2: Uh, I'm a senior reporter at Mobile Syrup, and you can find me at Rose Bahar, B-E-H-A-R, at Twitter.
0: That was Rose Bahar, uh, mobile tech expert. When we come back, lots of talk, uh, a lot of tech talk left. Uh, we're going to f- talk with Jennifer Cairns about cleaning your cookies and some more tech news. Stay tuned. You are back with Get Connected. Mike and Andy here in studio today. Still lots of tech to talk later on the program, App of the Week. On the line right now, we've got Jennifer Cairns from eGurus uh, to help us uh, kind of keep our system cleaner and clean our cookies. Thanks for joining us, Jennifer.
3: And hi to all the listeners. Thanks for having me.
0: So when we talk about cookies, we've talked about this on our program before, but uh, uh, tell our listeners one more time what cookies do.
3: Okay. So there's good cookies, bad cookies, and there's even those yummy chocolate chip cookies. But the good cookies are uh, little files that will sit in your computer. So if you ever have that little box that you tick, Remember Me, uh, it remembers your username and password or just your username, that's a good cookie. So when you go to that website, the computer quickly goes, oh, hold on a second, Mike um, likes to have his automatic sign in, so we're gonna go and make that happen. There's other types of cookies, though, that um, after a while can clog your system. There are session cookies for uh, when you're on a site that works with shopping carts and so forth, remembers your data to make it a little bit more convenient when you're searching. If ever if you've wondered when you're uh, looking for perhaps airlines and it'll remember your hometown of where your departure city is, that's, a, that's another type of cookie.
0: But also when uh, I'm doing searches for things like, uh, let's say, uh, basketball hoops, uh, suddenly uh, all the search searches I do or the sites I'm going to suddenly have basketball hoop ads.
3: And that's where it can be frustrating. And it can also really affect your searches. So I always recommend to people that you, A, go into the settings of your web browser. I always tick the box to not have tracking cookies. Uh, You do have that option. Uh, Then you can also go in. We are all pretty good now about clearing our history, but part of that is clearing your cookies. Uh, And when you go into the back system, that's a great way to clean up your browser, and then you get a fresh start. So when you do go to that website, you're not going to be inundated with basketball ads, but keep in mind, pretty soon you're going to be inundated with whatever you've just recently been searched. So it is a way of life.
1: <laughs> uh, Jen, I got a question for you. you. You mentioned about cleaning your browser and the cookies. Are all the cookies related inside the browser that you use, or is there some like outside of that on your computer somewhere?
3: So when you are um, cleaning out your cookies and the ones that you've saved, they are still Yeah, they're inside your computer, but quarantined in an area where all of those temporary files are held, um, the system files for that particular browser. Now, what can happen, though, uh, we do get malware. And when that happens, those cookies, which are ones that we don't want, that also have files that stick on our computer to annoy us and cause problems, They do get installed in different parts of the computer that are not in that browser. And that can be where it's very tricky to remove them sometimes.
0: And um, do you want to typically remove all the cookies in your web browser? I mean, there are some good ones. Like I like the fact that uh, on certain website it already knows who I am. Like when I I go to Craigslist and it knows that it's me, it's got my email and password ready to go. If I start clearing that all the time, I have to keep re-entering all that.
3: So my general rule of thumb is you should always have a good digital footprint, know exactly your usernames and passwords. But you'll notice when you are clearing your cookies, they will give you an option to tick a box that says keep my preferences. Now, those are the ones where you actually tick the box that says remember me. Uh, Why I do recommend, though, that you still have a list of all of your usernames and passwords for fear that something goes awry and when you do clear your cookies, it doesn't actually remember the ones that you wanted. And I have seen that happen once or twice, um, but it's pretty good, the technology is pretty good now for it to remember.
1: Jen, I have a question, it's kind of a techie question, so I'm not sure if you're gonna be able to answer it or not, but all the browsers have these like private browsing modes inside of them, whether it's uh, Firefox or Chrome. Does, does cookies still get compiled when you're in those private browsing modes?
3: From my understanding, they don't because you are not able to go back. Um, But you know, I'm not going to put my name to that. I actually have to do a little bit more research on that one.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no. From my understanding, uh, no. But again, you you never know. You You just never know. It's hard to really, really tell what. I love private browsing mode, but you know what's? uh, So I have private browsing mode on my Safari browser, like on my uh, my iPhone devices and iPads. But I'm telling Mm -hmm. you, it's a pain in the butt. There's a lot of websites that don't like it. They, they will basically say, you can't go any further until you turn that on. <laughs> Interesting. I didn't well, know
3: that. Yeah, and um, it's also, we tend to forget how much, I mean, I use a back button quite a bit. So I find that if I am in that mode, sometimes I get frustrated with myself. Why did I do that? Because I do want to go back. Um, but you're right. Uh, websites and companies really, they want to have as many cookies they can on their website because it helps them.
0: Jennifer, is there any programs you recommend as well? I mean, obviously, you can go into the browser, uh, your browser, whether that's Google Chrome, Firefox, Explorer, uh, what have you. Uh, Any other programs you recommend to kind of clean things out?
3: My favorite program of all is Malwarebytes. Right now it is. It's always changes because they're always coming out with new products. But as far as a good uh, user-friendly product for consumers that they can clean out... The ones that aren't really completely integrated into the system, Malwarebytes really does truly get most. And keep in mind that although you are running an antivirus software program that does say it has malware protection, when you run Malwarebytes, you'd be surprised at what it catches that the uh, antivirus programs are not catching.
1: Jen, is that for PCs and Mac or one or the other?
3: Uh, Great question. Uh, mainly for PCs. I'm seeing a lot more Macs get uh, browser hijacked uh, and malware. Usually it sits dormant, though, because those programs are written for the Windows operating system. And as we both know, the operating systems are different. Malwarebytes does have a version for Mac. Um, it's just a quick program that runs through. I've never caught anything on it. There was another uh, program and the name Escapes Me that I used before, which they don't run anymore. Uh, and it did catch some malware and bad files sitting on, but they were all originating from email.
0: Good old email. Uh, Jennifer, Jennifer, where can people find out more information about you?
3: Uh, if you go to eGurus.ca, uh, we have um, all the information of the services that we provide. Uh, you can also sign up for our newsletter, which then lists, we send out a list of stores, we do a lot of uh, eGurus tutor on-site programs we've just started up, uh, where my tutors go in uh, specific days each month, and customers can come in and ask whatever questions they want, and we'll help you out.
0: Jennifer Cairns from eGurus. When we come back, more Tech to Talk and App of the Week. Stay tuned. You are back with Get Connected. Mike and Andy here in studio. Still lots of uh, tech to talk here. Of course, we'll be getting App of the Week from Christina shortly uh, as well. Uh, some other interesting stuff uh, I saw in the news uh, this week, Andy. Uh, NASA uh, is developing uh, drone killing technology, <laughs> which I found interesting. It's a project called Safeguard. Yes,
1: that's right. Uh, there are a lot of no-fly zones now, whether it's in Canada or in the U.S., for, for drones, And drones are becoming a a big problem because the price has gone down significantly and you could fly a drone just about everywhere. So NASA, being NASA, is now making the technology to take down your drone. So you got to be very cognizant on where you're going to fly your drone. Otherwise, you can get knocked out from from above uh, in the sky.
0: Well, it's interesting. So how this technology works, and uh, this is something that I guess, once they uh, perfect it, uh, might actually have to be incorporated into all drones that are sold, uh, you know, in North America. And when we talk about no-fly zones, we're talking about military installations, airports, uh, stadiums, stadiums, uh, jails, <laughs> j- <laughs> jails, which, uh, uh, have helped people break out and also uh, power utilities uh, as well. So uh, they've got two components to this. Uh, it's all geo uh, located as well. So what happens is uh, uh, if it's got uh, the safeguard technology built in, uh, there's two parts. There's uh, you know basically the kill zone. Uh, and if you ever enter that, it basically kills the zone, uh, the drone dead. It just cuts the power and it'll drop to the earth like a yeah. rock. Yeah. But they also have what's called a containment zone. So You don't have to worry about like instantly just seeing your drone drop out of the sky with no notice. There's a a larger uh, kind of no-fly zone or containment zone. And if your drone enters that, it basically gets a warning uh, to turn around.
1: Yeah. And you know what? This kind of reminds me of a company that we had interviewed a couple months ago, D-Drone. Yeah. Uh, And this was a company based on the US that is making tech very similar technology and selling it to like the prisons and and big Stadiums. stadiums. Yeah. To prevent people from flying their drones, they have this technology that can basically null those drones so that they can't get into a certain area. But it looks like NASA has taken this one step further. Uh, what's interesting, and I don't know, is how are they going to use it? Is, are they going to use this technology just for themselves? Or will they start to license this out to other I, cities?
0: Yeah, I think it's going to come to a point where it's, it'll pro- something like this will have to be built into drones themselves. Uh, you know, that there are areas uh, and it's built into the software of the drone that it knows that it can't go there. And so it won't let you go there.
1: Now we saw what happened in Canada. They made these new regulations, Mike, about how to fly a drone. And basically they said you can't fly a drone anywhere. There's people. Or... Oh my
0: God. Yeah. You could be in an open field somewhere outside of Kamloops. You so know? <laughs> my, so exactly.
1: So my question to you is what is that going to do to the entire drone industry? Are people like somebody messaged us on Facebook last week about should I buy a drone? Like where can I fly this drone? And I was like, you got to go out to the boonies if you want to fly this thing, so...
0: Yeah, you can't fly it over people or cars or near buildings or animals. You know what I mean? Or or wildfires in uh, uh, BC's case right now. Uh, so there's more places you can't fly these things than there are actually areas that you can.
1: Yeah, but... N- you, we saw this huge surge of a lot of people buying drones. They were around the thousand dollar mark. We can get a pretty decent drone. Yeah. The question is, is what's going to ha- Are people still going to buy them? Are they going to break the law or or what? I think
0: people are going to push it a bit. Um, you know, there's no question that the drone sales are going to take a hit for it. I know they're looking at uh, or have loosened it a bit. We'll have to get to more information on that for uh, you know an upcoming show uh, and maybe get some drone experts on just to really see you know what are the opportunities for hobbyists. Uh, another interesting uh, article, uh, shopping malls building in gaming booths for bored husbands and boyfriends. Yes, they're calling them
1: the husband pods. And essentially, it's just like this little seat and you can sit in this enclosure and play your favorite PC games or or even uh, video games, traditional console-based games. Um, and I think what they're really trying to do is they, they understand that husbands and boyfriends typically don't like to shop with their uh, female companions so they're trying to find ways to entice them to still come there, but not be bored. And I think a husband pod is a great, great idea that might resonate with a, a lot of people. My my issue, Mike, is if I'm a 13-year-old boy and hanging up with my friends, I'm going to go into one of these husband pods if I have a girlfriend or not.
0: Yeah, the husbands aren't going to be able to get into the pods. Yeah, good
1: luck, right? Get, yeah. get Get that 13-year-old boy out of the way before you can uh, actually take a turn and and play some games. Would you do it? Uh, you know what? i definitely try it. I do not like shopping. I, I don't think you like shopping. I've
0: No, unless it's like specifically for me. Yeah. Like <laughs> like anyone, right? So, you know, when I'm out with uh, uh, my wife or my mom, uh, you know, sometimes it's a little boring.
1: Well, the thing is, and I noticed men, we're very like, we, we know what we want. We go in, we get it and we yes. get out. Yeah. Whereas some people like to just kind of browse. Yes. And, and. I know to husbands and, and certain guys can be like, you know, I can't handle this. Like, what do you want? Let's get it in and out. But uh,
0: yeah, which doesn't make for a great shopping experience for anyone. No, right? it
1: doesn't. It's a completely different um, attitude of, of shopping. So these husband pods, of course, they're they're going to try them out. If it does work out, you could probably see it in a mall near you in the, in the upcoming future.
0: Uh, I know you're going to be doing an upcoming uh, segment with the folks over at AMI, uh, a connected home for... Uh, visually impaired and blind?
1: Yes, that's right. So AMI, Accessible Media, it's a, it's a national network for people that are visually impaired or hard of hearing. And so now that we have the Google Home smart speaker out, and a lot of people saw us last week, we brought it in studio and we were asking questions. Well, we're going to show how to make an accessible smart home. So turning things on like your your uh, YouTube playlist of your favorite artist and or turning lights on, your coffee machine on, all by using your voice. Uh, I've been using this Google Home for a while, Mike. I, as you know, I built my dad uh, a little beer uh, bar in the backyard and I got him actually picking out music now, just using his voice, doesn't have to use his phone or a tablet. Does he like it? It was pretty funny because yeah. he, he would start yelling at the speaker like, Google, Google. Oh yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, no dad, you have to say, hey Google. Yeah. Tell, and I'm like, you have to be specific. You have to be like, hey Google, play me a Dire Straits YouTube playlist on the TV. And then it can understand what you want, but you, you can't let it. Yes. Yeah,
0: that's the thing with it. Uh, I mean, it, you gotta be kind of specific right now. You yes. know what I mean? Like, so I think these things, they've got a ways to go. So I mean, they're amazing right now, but uh, you know, just being able to understand casual language as well so that uh, you can get things done. Yeah,
1: this is year one. So in the next com- couple of years, this thing is gonna get smarter and smarter. So it just shows you what the future is gonna look like in the smart homes of tomorrow.
0: When we come back from the break, we still got more tech to talk and of course uh, the app of the week with Christina. Stay tuned. You're back with Get Connected. It's that time of the week, app of the week. This uh, week uh, I've
1: got Andy. The special app of the week. The special I, I kind of the wanted
0: week. to do this one, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> so, and you've had some personal experience with this one.
1: Yeah, so this is what happened. I live in Surrey, as you know as you you do as well. And I woke up one day and realized I live right on a corner lot and I realized that somebody had did illegal dumping, which is a big problem in Surrey. People just drive up, dump something on a corner and then drive away. Well, somebody had dumped an old couch and I knew right away I had to deal with this because if I didn't, if I let that couch sit there right on that corner, more and more people are just going to start dumping on it. So what I did is I took a picture of it at first and then I went online because I was going to call the city and I realized that Surrey has an app called Surrey Requests. And, and this so- is this is different than the city of Surrey. Uh, app. Yes, this is a different one. This is called Surrey Request. It's like if you have an issue and you want to talk to somebody at the city, this is what you do. And so what I did is I submitted a service for illegal dumping. Inside the app, they said, upload the photo. Where's the location? You know, you can write a little description of what's going on, put your contact information, and then I pressed the button and boom, It. I suddenly got an email saying that we have this on file and we're going to take care of it. So I was looking inside this app from the city of Surrey, and it's got everything, everything from animal control, building inquiries, graffiti, pay parking and pay parking, park issues, road services, secondary suites, sidewalks or walkways, street lights, sewer backup, street signs, traffic signals, tree issues, unsightly property, waste collection, water leaks, you name it, everything that you would ever need to call your city for? So
0: you don't have to call.
1: You can just call this app.
0: You don't have to call. Animal control. I love that. Uh, Unfortunately, last year I had uh, under my deck. You've seen my (laughs) deck. I know this story. And this was horrendous. Uh, I've got this big wooden deck and it's a few hundred square feet and it's beautiful. Um, And I was playing Frisbee with my daughter out in the yard and I smelled a smell. And unfortunately it was uh, a dead raccoon.
1: Yes, the smell of death.
0: Oh my God. And you know, I, I looked online trying to see on the websites, you know, will the city pick up a dead raccoon? I, you know, I, I researched some uh, animal places that would come and do it, but that costs a lot of money. And so I just thought, oh, I'll phone the city. And I, I got a hold of someone nice at the animal control there. And I didn't know if they'd pick up a dead raccoon. So I just yeah. told them, yeah, I think there's a raccoon under my deck. And, you know, well, what's it doing? Well, it's very still right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's- so I think eventually this poor woman could tell that I'm just like fishing to see if, um, you know, they pick up dead dead animals. And uh, she finally said, we also pick up dead animals. I'm like, it's dead. <laughs> and they were nice and came out. But this is great because I could have just gone to the app and avoided that that whole thing.
1: Yeah. And, you know, back in the day, if you wanted to call your city, even before the internet and everything, you'd have to get the white pages and you would open it up and you would have to find the right number. Now, the fact that it's on an app, it, I can't believe it. Like... Now I'm going to report more issues that I have because a lot of it was just trying to find the right context. But now the Surrey Request app has got to be our app of the week this week. Uh, and you should check for your city to see if they have a similar app.
0: It's all the time we have left. I want to thank the team that puts it together and Andy Barrar, my co-host and producer. We'll see you again next time.